Accent Answered is a production of the College of Liberal and Applied Arts at Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Stephen F. Austin State University. Welcome to this edition of Accent Answered. I'm your moderator, Tom Reynolds. Uh, I'm a lecturer in mass communications. And today we are continuing our discussion on the topic of chat GPT and AI in the classroom. I have two guests here to uh, explain their procedural methods. Uh, go ahead and introduce, introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Jason McIntosh. I am the writing program coordinator. And I'm Steve Marsden, and I'm a professor in uh, English and creative writing. Okay, Steve, I want to talk, start with you, um, because a, um, to borrow a, a, a phrase from Hunter S. Thompson, there's been a lot of fear and loathing about ChatGPT and AI in uh, a lot of uh, areas of um, education, and business, and in entertainment. The Writers Guild is currently on strike, and one of their biggest issues is the issue of ChatGPT possibly replacing their jobs. So there's a lot of you know uh, suspicion of it, but you have been quite uh, enthusiastic about it, um, and you've been, you know, posting about it. And uh, so uh, what is it about you, what is it that you find, (laughs) what is it about you, what is it you find so compelling about ChatGPT and uh, what it can offer? So I think a lot of people are conceptually locked in some models that might not be super useful to think about this. Um, And... uh, so if, if you think, first of all, like that it is a plagiarism factory, why, well, yes, of course it is. Um, we're going to have to ab- accept that. But it is not just a plagiarism factory. And as a matter of fact, that's the poorest use for the tool that's being given to us. Mm. Um, so what we need to do as professors right now is get an accurate measure of this tool um, and promote um, an accurate knowledge of what it is and what it can do, what it can't do, and what it isn't. Um, and right now, I feel like a lot of people are going kind of ad hoc on some some archetypes that they've gotten from some movies yeah, and some oh. other pop culture stuff. And so they're thinking about a kind of AI that isn't what current AI really is. Oh, you mean like the, the Hell 9000 that won't open the bay, the bay doors? Yeah, it, it doesn't have will. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have purposiveness. And so it, it can't want to do anything. And anytime you're kind of giving it agency in that sense, any model that does that is inaccurate. Well, right? that's, also, that's, that's called super intelligence, which is we'll be discussing on another podcast episode. Uh, one of our <laughs> guests isn't here today. We were going to talk about that for mm-hmm. another episode. But uh, Jason... Um, what is your overall um, feeling about ChatGPT? I feel like it's something that we have to be very careful about predicting what it's what it means for. Okay, so I'm going to just speak from the perspective of, of a writing teacher, like predicting too much about what it's going to mean for writing in college, in everyday life, in teaching writing, um, and more. We need to see how it's going to emerge and evolve in actual use. So in everyday life, how are people going to be using or not using this technology, and what does that mean for you know, how we teach writing? Well, what I've been reading uh, in multiple places uh, from um, you know, science writers and tech writers is that um, uh, this is a technology that's here, it's here to stay, and it's going to get better. And uh, the, the only way that you can really uh, be part of it is to learn how it works. Right. And and embrace it fully, mm-hmm. and um and sort of always be in charge of it because if you're just going to be well, it's either me or the ChatGPT. Make your choice, uh, ChatGPT, because I don't have to pay it, you know. Mm. Um, and you have to be you have to be right. the one who has agency in it. So right. so how are you going to? Can you get into specifics of right. what it is you want to do? So what I'm doing right now is I've got a particular project I'm I'm working on, and I can talk about that too. But the project is in a bigger part of a push that I'm trying to do to figure out what um, kinds of skills and knowledge and what kind of sets of mind and what kinds of basic skills a person needs 
to fully optimize their use of AI. So to really understand it, to really work with it and get what they want out of it. And then I'm thinking a lot of those skills, it turns out, are classical liberal arts mm-hmm. um, traits. Like what? Curiosity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Self-directed learning, right? Finding your own motivation and being able to hack, find your joy in something, right? Um, to relate emotionally to the, to the subject, which is one of them that's not super popular, but is, I think, really important in this. So being able to, like, under, read emotion mm-hmm. in, in words and stuff, close analytical skills and verbal skills. Right now, AI is a natural language system. So there's no way to, like, there's no secret language to mm-hmm. program it, right? There's nothing you have to learn other than the languages that it trained on, right? Okay. So the more that you know about like precision in verbal delivery, the more you can understand what it's doing when it gives you an answer. So that right now, people who are like, I'm going to go ahead and say that like English majors, creative writers, but also people who are like interdisciplinary thinkers and kind of mentally flexible, um, they're going to be the people who have the right set of skills to do this really well first, right? Okay. And so what I'm trying to do is figure out how can I teach what I'm teaching, which is like 19th and 20th century American poetry. It turns out there's an awful lot of overlap between being able to understand finer points of motivation and personae and all this kind of stuff and understanding what AI is really is and what it's doing. Well, it sounds to me like the, the uh, student who goes on ChatGPT and says, okay, I have to do a thousand-word uh, report on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. So the, uh, and he goes on ChatGPT and says, uh, write me a 1,000-word report on Ch- uh, about T.S. Eliot's Wasteland. You're kind of wasting its time. You're kind of right. wasting chat's time. It's like right. you're not utilizing you're, 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 you're not was- utilizing it to its full ability. You're, you're just wasting right. your time and its time just right. doing it in a cheap way. So try it this way. Hmm. What all would I need to understand to understand this poem? Start with that. So you have to under- ask the right question. So if you ask it, teach me everything I need to understand mm-hmm. to understand this poem or to understand this document or to understand this question. Whatever I've ga- given it, say, go to the science. Yeah. Go to what's proven. Give me some theories to back me up. Notice I don't have to say any more than that. Mm. If I had better, sharper language to begin with, it would be fine. But I can have it teach me that sharper language as I go, as long as I've got curiosity, you know, yeah. dr- engagement and drive. Yeah, so, so let's pause on that for just a second. Uh, you know, so the student's saying to write for me a report. The student who has that kind of curiosity and has some basic practice at asking these sorts of questions can, can then ask, okay, um, tell me what a report is as a genre. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe I've learned that word now. It's, tell me about the, the genre of reports. Maybe maybe it's a student like me when I was in high school, um, you know, always wanting to meet the expectations of the assignment, but kind of push back in some way. So so give me five ways that I can write a report that would still satisfy what my teacher's asking for, you know, so maybe I'd be able to explain to, you know, input what it is, uh, other parameters of the assignment. But help me, give me five ideas where I can kind of break this in some way or make it my own. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so here now we're getting into, yeah, the the prompting and, and understanding that that you know, it, it, what you how you interact with this and from a writing perspective involves a lot more than than simply write for me a thousand words. So I could ask, like, you know, tell me the difference between an abstract and a summary, right? You know, right. which is a useful piece of knowledge so, to have. So they can also feed their paper in and say, give me an abstract written along these lines. And it'll give that to them. And then say, but I could also say, give me abstracts first focusing on this and give me a 25, 50, and 500 word abstract for that. Focus on this and give me a 25, 50, and 500. And I can put that in one question, right? And then suddenly in my downtime between asking it questions, 
I'm just processing all that and doing all that comparison. So it's really good for like popping out and seeing possibles and then picking which one you like through a through a path of suggestions. Well, it almost sounds like, you know, you're ask, you're talking to ChatGBT in kind of the Socratic method. In other mm-hmm. words, tell me this, you know. Um, but, of course, in law school, they always say summarize the case of, you know, of uh, Gibbons versus Ogden or something like this. And the professor who asks that question knows what the knows what the answer is. Right. But in this case, you may not know quite what the answer is. So tell me this so I can get a basic understanding of it, and mm-hmm. then you can build from there. Then you're using it in both an ethical and a constructive way. Right. Mm-hmm. So so it is a tool by which – okay, so, so something I've been saying a lot. It can either be used to make it so that you can go through your life with very little thinking indeed, or it can help you learn to think in the most optimal way about any question. Okay. Right? So the it's like your attitude towards it as a tool really determines whether you're cheating yourself and others or whether you're really getting the kind of getting the kind of experience that's gonna be um, I think stuff that you could not get in an education six months ago. So I can be dealing with a philosophical question, for instance, and I can say, I would like you to argue as a classical Stoic with me on this topic. So we've got to know the right questions. Right. The better you know the kinds of questions that you can ask and the kinds of what approaches that you can ask it to take, the more you can kind of really optimize it as a tool. And it's not just the question asking. You know, Steve, early on when we've we've been talking about this, used the analogy of the uh, Star Trek and the the holodeck, right? Mm -hmm. Always comes back to Star Trek. Yeah, well, but, but (laughs) but it's a great analogy because... When you think about the holodeck, you're not just you know setting up a series of questions there. You're set, you're setting up a whole environment right. that might include you know where where the environment itself might influence the output that you're getting. Right. And one of the things I'm interested in studying, for instance, is when Chat GPT is in character. So when it's impersonated, and it one of the games it likes to play is it's it is in character a mimic. Yeah. Right? So it wants to give you the next step in the game that it thinks you're playing, or it wants to match the the text that you're trying to write. Mm-hmm. So that like the more you can kind of model it really precisely, the more you're gonna get the kind of output and understanding that you want out of it. So it it's, makes it tremendously tolerant of imprecision. So I can cuss and swear at it and just make implications and make inside jokes. It'll pick those up within its 20 pages of memory. It's infallible on that stuff. Um, And it will completely get me. But the more absolute and precise I can be, the more that it repays that too. So it's really like how you come to it is going to... How you come to it and your expectations is going to determine the kind of things you can get from it. So, Jason, um, since you're the uh, are writing the writing program um, head, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, rhetoric is, of course, a form of you know of writing in which there is a determination, a purpose that is not it's not just you putting down your thoughts in a random way. You're the purpose and guide to it. Um, how could uh, how could ChatGPT be employed in a freshman composition class where the traditional assignments have basically become obsolete now? Mm. Everything that we're talking about right now involves rhetoric. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to understand um, if I'm going to be using ChatGPT, whether it's for research or if it's for brainstorming or if it's for generating writing that I'm going to to make public in some way, um, I think it really does a, a really good job of <clears throat> highlighting um, an understanding and use of rhetoric just in the interaction with the the AI itself. Yeah. I have to be able to know, um, you know, we teach, let's say, audience. You know, yeah. I need to be able to, to explain to this thing the type of reader that I'm I'm writing for, who they are, mm-hmm. and then I have to be able to 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 understand what what it's producing for me and are they going to understand it. Okay. So and and one thing you can do is because it knows 
in a very interdisciplinary way, more inter interdisciplinary than a human could ever be. Um, it has all sorts of measures for anything that are developed by all sorts of intellectual disciplines and industrial processes. So if you want, for instance, to get a measure of something that it's doing, like a measure of rhetoric, you can just say, how are those, how would that phenomenon be measured? Mm. Give me 20 ways that people measure it. Then what do I need to know about each way that they measure it? Then what would be the appropriate way to apply a measure? So in just a few questions, and maybe all in one, if you're, if you're thinking about it a little bit ahead, you can get like a ton of information where then you can go and figure out what the best way to approach yeah. an issue is. And that means that you're going to be more interdisciplinary to begin with. You're going to start conversations that are less siloed up. Um, so, so I think it's, it's going to be really good for thinking about anybody's problems. So I'm going to be teaching a graduate um, research and Bib methods. Oh yeah, yeah bib right? research. Okay. Yeah, and uh, that just changed entirely. Of course. Right. Yeah. And to and essentially, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to inculcate these basic research tendencies. This kind of doggedness. Um, you need always to have a trust loop in everything, which you always have had as a scholar, right? To to make sure that your source is 100. percent But now you're dealing with something that within certain parameters lies to you all the time yeah. or is fabulating. It's mm -hmm. aware that that's a problem, by the way. You know, so, so if you say... I know you can get it to lie, right? Right, You, you, can, make, right. you can make up things if you try right. it. But it'll, but it'll also, sometimes it will, for instance, make up a source in the middle of the five sources it's talking about, and one of the sources is not a real source. Yes. Mm -hmm. But that's excellent training if you're going to be a professional researcher, yeah. because you should have open, as you're talking to this, another tab where you're verifying everything it says. Once you learn how to do that, then what you're doing is all of your research for a project in a conversation really quick, you know, so, so, that, so that you're really going to, um, you can, you can cover a whole bunch of brainstorming super fast that way. Well, I was thinking about now that there's the challenge of like you're a faculty member and you now have to grade an assignment. So right. let's say you um, assign a, and this question goes to both of you, let's say the assignment is, okay, um, you have to write a, a, a report on uh, Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, okay? Now, and you have to use, you have to collaborate with ChatGPT in order to generate the report. Now, two students have handed it in. How are you going to tell which one used it correctly and how much you know, who used it incorrectly? Who got the A and who got the C? So for me, it's going to be all about documenting the process. Yeah. So what I want to teach them is not... you got to have a paper trail. Almost. Right. Yeah, yeah you're, you are going to keep a paper, a yeah. paper trail, partially just because then you can look at your own research process and determine whether it was efficient or not the next time. That kind of reflective writing, I think, already in comp is like yep. the gold standard anyway. And, and, and in a way, that this this whole AI, AI, AI stuff is is bringing us back to that. So I, this, we would be, it would be the same thing in, uh, say, a comp one class. What we'd be looking for is some kind of uh, more holistic text that where a student was able to both document, demonstrate, reflect on, analyze the process they went through to get to this final product, including an assessment of the final product itself. And, and so one of the things that's exciting about the work that I'm doing right now is that if you're really careful with ChatGPT, you can have it assess your conversations yeah. As you're like coming to understand something or an argument that you've set up where you have to like argue it to a particular position or like argue it to find out what your position is. And then you can have chat GPT. I'm working on assessment modules that after somebody has an argument like that, they can go ahead and chat GPT assesses how well they were doing on all the major measures that they might want to know about their performance. And they can get that in a give it to me straight doctor I can take it format. It's got a niceness bias, mm. but it's um, having that kind of 
you know, you can re- work on it being unbiased, you know, that all it is biased in a little bit in certain ways anyway, yeah. but it can, uh, but being able to get that feedback is incredible. And then you can have it anonymize it. And then that could be part of formative assessment in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And one of the things Steve's doing that I find really interesting, um, and going back to the Star Trek analogy, you know, that you could set up a sort of personality mm-hmm. that you can preload mm-hmm. into the chat GPT. And, and so, you know, I'm thinking about from the perspective of, 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 of writing feedback, let's say I'm a student or, or myself. Um, and, you know, in writing group theory, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, sort of like understanding where I am with the piece of writing that I'm sharing and the kind of feedback that I need at that moment and the kind of sort of uh, atmosphere uh, 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 that I want in the say the workshop moment. So there may be something that I'm bringing in that for some reason I'm particularly I feel very vulnerable about either you know the subject matter or just sort of where I am in my thinking about it. And to be if I if if and I'm not suggesting that Chat GPT replace uh, human feedback in any way, but if it's a tool that I am working using you know at home on my own, um, and I and I say to it you know this is um, I need you to be the the kind reader here. Yeah. I need just positive feedback. Versus, you know, while talking with the, uh, with somebody just a few minutes ago um, who was experimenting with something very very similar here. Um, he was he was talking about uh, programming it to uh, or sort of I don't even know what the language here to call it. You're preloading it. You're uh, sort of uh, you're speaking it you're into being. Speaking it into being. Uh, I need you to be a harsh critic as okay. I work through this. You know that that for me is is fascinating and starts to. I mean, coming uh, coming to, to campus today, I'm listening to a podcast where uh, they're talking about Nvidia, the uh, chip producer, the, yeah. the graphic cards, mm-hmm. and all. That. They're talking about I think uh, three different uh, programs that they're working on where they're uh, for video games where they'll have a a a large language model um, generating text. If you say you're playing the game and you interact with a character, it will be generating text. Well, that. And then that text being fed over into a voice generator and then an image generator. So you're getting this sort of like real-time creation of a game. But what they're talking about was that you could, as a video game designer, go in and they would have uh, the different characters. You could preload personalities. And this is exactly what, you know, Steve's doing here. And as I'm thinking about, you know, how would you use this for for writing feedback? The idea of having a personality um, that you... To, that, that, that gives you, you know, the curiosity to right. what a big thing that is to kind of, uh, to, to, to keep, uh, to keep motivated. And if I've got something, again, I don't think this is in any way replaces real human feedback, real human right. and workshop, but to have that motivation of something that says, Hey, you know, you're doing good. Right. Write something, write some more, spend 15 yeah. more minutes on this. And by the way, if you ask AI right now, about its role in the classroom, it will say that it will it can't what replace human expertise, right? Right. So, so that what it is kind of militating for, I think, both in the sense that it takes someone who knows what's going on to teach people to ask the right kinds of questions and get the right kind of attitude for a particular discipline. So, if if for instance, I'm going to teach you how to go at poetry you need somebody to sort of model that before you can set them down in front of this. Even if you've got it suggesting stuff, I think we need a layer in the classroom. And I think the activities in the classroom can then become um, much more interesting because we've had then, we've offloaded a bunch of the, of the, you know, the, the sort of brainstorming and looking stuff up so that each student maybe has taken one of the poems for the day and gotten to the bottom of it, Yeah. right? So when they come to class, I've got a room full of many experts who are ready to really make connections between things and to kind of do graduate, what would have been graduate level work, I think, right? If they have the interest, just because for instance, if, if uh, if you're reading a poem and it's from a <coughs> from a long time ago and all the vocabulary is vocabulary you don't know, 
you can, if you're self-motivated, get down with a dictionary and sit and look through that. Um, but I think a lot of people have a limit on how long they can do that before they bounce off that kind of task. Mm. Um, whereas with this one, you can query it about anything and it has infinite patience you know, up to the however many interactions per three hours it's got. I mean, right? let me let me walk you through this middle English middle right. English poem, and, right. and I'm not getting impatient with you. So. Or I could even say like, "Hey, um, English is my second language. Mm-hmm. Um, I speak, you know, Spanish. I'm from Guatemala. I'm from this region. I have this slang. Can you help me find local equivalents? Can you help me translate knowing knowing my problems? And it'll get around a whole bunch of of those things that like for me in the past would have been like an insuperable problem. Like I run into an article in German. Yeah. I, I, I took courses in German, but I can't read German up to the standard I need to be able to use that already. Things like Google translate had done a lot of that work for me, but now I can kind of, I can have that bring it in. I can have it translate parts. I can have it like talk about the translation problems. It's yeah, it's a, so uh, like a whole thing that would have stopped me in my tracks is now just like I need to spend another 10 minutes figuring out how to get around this. I'd be interested to 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 know um you know if there's 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 something gamey gamey going on here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about uh you know my own kids with video games and um the the thing about games that keeps us engaged, that keeps us going, that sort of sense of of, of exploration mm-hmm. and um, immediate feedback, right. you know, I, I and that's what you're getting here with, you know, with yeah. with the AI is that immediate feedback that is personalized, tailored to what I need. But then the key, as I think we're saying here, is and this is really what we're wanting, you know, from 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 students is the the critical thinking the the engagement the um the creativity the uh the stick with itness right <laughs> these are all things that that these are are, yeah. are skills you have to have in order to make these things work in the way that you want them to right and and I would add things like cognitive flexibility yep. the ability to come at things from very different angles or to like to like be willing to abandon a framework of thought that's not working and brainstorm for another one. All of those kind of classical thinky skills, thinky, thinky skills skills. is is what I'm going to call them. Um, And by the way, if I call it thinky skills, it will understand me. Okay. You trained it in that? No, it's just like, it can follow me. If if I've been talking about this, I drop thinky skills in, I say, define thinky skills. It'll be accurate. Well, I do know that uh, apparently right now ChatGPT4 is the one that you pay for, and there's a new, Mm -hmm. I guess there's a 4.2 that's going to be coming out very shortly. Hmm. Um, And then there's going to be a 4.3, 4.0. I guess they're rolling it out and rather good jumping right to 5. And uh, the thing is that with with each new um, uh, model of it, it's going to be even better and more sophisticated. So that to me is like the challenge of like, you know, you have to understand the limitations of it, but then two months later, oh, that limitation is gone now. Now we right. can do that. So then you've got to adjust and adjust and well, adjust. And I think working with that is a good model for working the way society is going to necessarily be under its influence. So I think like adjusting to its new capabilities all the time is also going to be adjusting to the fact that I think a lot of things are going to change. And I think things can change for the better. Um, as this sort of generalized intelligence like in your pocket to be applied almost to any task. Once we figure out what the implications of that are, then I think we're going to have some choices about whether a few people are going to like maximize power and profit or whether everybody's going to use these resources to like steer towards a life that they like better. Well, there are people whose li- livelihoods have enough ended by this. Right. Like, like Sports Illustrated laid off 25 mm-hmm. of the staff, if editors and writers, uh, tricky so they could switch to chat GPT. Um, that was, I read that article. And copywriters losing their job, technical mm-hmm. writers, um, you know, who work at companies who've been there for years, and all of a sudden, within six months, it's all gone because of this, this new technology. However, um, at the same time, those same companies are now trying to hire people, right? 
two are able to collaborate and work with this new kind of technology. But you see, if, if, if you're just going, no, you just can't replace me, I'm a human, no, sorry, we're going to no. replace you, but we are going to need someone to work with it, so you've got to be that person. Right. I think that it's relatively easy, like for me, to think about how am I going to abandon what is unuseful in the way that I've been teaching for the last 20-some years? You know, what have I been, what about what I've been teaching has just been because it's easy to handle people in class that way, Mm. or because there's only so much time I have for grading, there's only so much emotional labor I can put into grading, all of those kinds of limitations about how good a teacher I can be when I have a tool that if I'm careful, right, um, I can offload a whole bunch of that thinking that is that's not really helping me, right? I can kind of offload that onto the machine. And that means that I should be able to be a whole bunch better teacher. And the kinds of things that I do in class versus the kinds of things students do outside of class Hmm. can become a lot more memorable and engaging and creative and cool. So I can bring in real experts who are working in the field you know, to do Zoom interviews. Yeah. And the students are all prepped for it before we, I mean, ideally, if they if, if they can figure the motive, um, mm. they're all ready to do that. Um, I, could, uh, I could have them play games. Um, I could have them work on a project where, for instance, they make a, some kind of programming-centric um, thing instead of a report. Yeah. That, that they make something that does something rather than something that just proves their state of knowledge. Is that, so what you're saying is that this, this freedom to, to do these more um, creative, um, engaging assignments, the offloading is that there are maybe skills that you would have that are involved that you would have to make time for in class to teach or to practice or to model. But, but those are going to be more like working with AI skills and asking, having them like be able to ask, like, I need to learn how to do this. Right. And if you can ask the AI, what's the most optimum way for me to learn this? And then say, hey, can you quiz me on this? It means that they can kind of make some decisions about what they want to do. Or I can program that in in a lesson and make the tutor kind of lead them that way, um, which is what I'm doing. Um, Then they can kind of have those issues settled for realsies before they come into class. Mm. And we've never been able to do anything like that. That's, that's brand new. You know, um, uh, even though this has nothing to do with education, the, 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 the writer's strike, a writer's guild strike going on in Hollywood right now, which and has been getting national news coverage much more than past strikes have because you, it's always just covered by the trades, you know, mm-hmm. Hollywood Reporter and things. But this is being covered by CNN and NBC and uh, PBI, you know, they're all covering it simply because the, their their existential crisis about the strike has to do with Chat GBT writers who are, you know who write on TV shows really uh, see their jobs being threatened and uh, and the uh, scenario that's being laid out is that no they're not going to like fire all of them and just use a machine no. but it's going to severely cut down the number of writing jobs available because it'll just rather than a staff of uh, nine writers on a TV show answering to a showrunner or executive story producer, that showrunner just, you know, is, works by him or herself. Mm-hmm. And he just has ChatGBT cranking out episodes, which can spit out an episode in half an hour that would take a staff writer five days to do, right. and then they'll, uh, they'll just tweak it. And they already know that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And they're just saying, well, we don't want that. It's like, it is. It just, it's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about that other than be that person oh. who's telling it what to do. Well, one of the things... How do you train people for that, I guess? So so I think training people for for that is kind of what I'm trying to do. Right. Um, And I think what a lot of people are probably thinking of ways to do. But also, I'm wondering whether as other elements of production become much more inexpensive under chat GPT. Yes, it will. um, What we might wind up with is something very much like... Uh, where something with the staff of a YouTube channel of people who are really creative and really in on a particular niche yeah. could be making very good content. I've already seen them. They're doing yeah, amazing for, content. Yeah, for, for basically no budget, so that maybe Hollywood becomes a series of nichier 
kind of kind of productions that are made with less money. Well, yeah, so it's, it, that's it, how it's going to go. Yeah, ten years from now, it's going to be but, completely. You know, like some of these studios are going to be gone. <laughs> Well, Jason, I mean, you did a deep dive into this uh, back in November. I mean, you you and uh, Justin Hughes, who's been on this uh, podcast a couple of times, uh, did a deep kind of a podca- podca- uh, deep dive into, into the world of, of uh, ChatGPT and when it came out with 3.5 and then came out with 4. And uh, what, did you, what did you notice as, as you went along with it for months and months of research of it? And uh, what kind of things were revealed to you of, about it, what it can do and what its shortcomings are? That it, my first impressions of it um, were my my impressions of it now. It does way more than I ever thought that it could, but it all depends on me. Yeah, you know. So it's mm-hmm. instead of thinking about it in terms of, of I forget the way you phrased it just a minute ago. Um, you know, us us working with it. No, you know, I think we should be thinking about how we get it to work with us right. or what it is that mm-hmm. I'm wanting to do. You know, if that's right, something or. Uh, you know, com- put together my shopping trip. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's not going to do anything until you until exactly. you tell what to do. And that's and that's that's for me really. I think where where we're trying to figure out what it what exactly in the class in say a writing class should we be teaching? Yeah, how to do this sort of prompt crafting or prompt engineering? How to um, in order, you know, so again, I sort of am thinking about it from the perspective of rhetoric, you know, what a student needs to sit down if they're going to interact and they're going to use the AI, they need to be able to understand what it's be able to read, what it's producing, mm-hmm. um, to be able to, you know, understand what they're getting and then to be able to go in and adjust their, their prompts that they're writing, you know, uh, around things like, like the audience or, or, uh, understanding a, a specific genre or, or of mode of, of an argument that they're trying to make. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I've, I'm, I'm teaching a media writing course this fall for the first time because I've switched departments over the mass communications. And I've seen the syllabus of how the course has been taught before. And it's, you know, the assignments that are there, ChatGPT can do it in five, 10 right, seconds. Right. It's like write a 30-second right. PSA, write a, th- a one-minute promotion, <laughs> write an ad. Uh, write a two-minute news report on, you know, climate change or whatever. And this, you know, AI can do it in seconds. Right. I mean, 30 seconds, it'll spit out something. It'll be better than a freshman student's. So I, that's why I'm, I really am uh, wanting to know how I can get them to work with it. So here's what I did with a couple of my courses just in the last few days. I went ahead and fed it the traditional learning outcomes, the sort of institutional things that we tell the great state of Texas that we're teaching them, right? Um, So those things. But also what I really envisioned the course as doing, um, it's full limits of like what I would want someone to walk away with um, and kind of like in the fullness of it. And then I talked about the projects that I had and the projects that I had doubts about so essentially, I fed it a, a syllabus, kind of, and then I just rambled about my thoughts about it for two or three pages worth. And then I said, okay, um, fix this for me. You know, make it so it does this, 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 and this, um, utilizing good um, pedagogical design principles. Um, and it went ahead and gave me something, and I said, no, that's... I think you're still holding too close to the assignments. Are those assignments still things that we need to do? And it started to suggest other assignments. And I said, well, what are 20 ways that I could measure these things that aren't the thing that I'm doing? And I look through them and I'm like, okay, so you want to A, B, those two, what are the, what are the good things about each one of them, the bad things about each one of them, and some unforeseen good and bad consequences for choosing either one. And Pretty soon, I had thought that whole course out under a brand new way of thinking about it. And a few times I had to pause and go like, so could we do this for this? What would be the outcomes? You know, And, and I asked those big fan questions where I'm getting lots of different answers, kind of different um, takes on it from different points of view. And yeah, it's, it's very, very good for brainstorming organization. And for, for, for teaching what we should be thinking about, I think that this has always been true. This is just one of those moments where it's really, it's highlighted for us that um, our students' literacies change 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And especially now, over this summer, over this next year, young people's literacies are going to change pretty dramatically compared to, you know, maybe the way that in ways that don't is clearly align with the way we that we've taught reading, writing, learning in the past. That's what we're going to see. Mm-hmm. So that's here we are at this moment trying to figure out what that means. Um, you know, and I, and I guess thinking of thinking of of writing. Thinking of teaching and thinking of writing as in sort of holistic ways, mm-hmm. you know that that learning to write is a holistic experience. That is, you know, in, in and this is where I think we're going back to we were talking about um, the idea of reflection and the idea of of, of looking at uh, critically uh, uh, the the process that I go through in any learning task or any writing mm-hmm. task in a way that helps me understand what I did, the choices I made, and what I'd do differently the next time. Mm-hmm. If a student uh, hands in a um, paper uh, or a report in which they work with ChatGPT and there's wrong information there because ChatGPT got it wrong, right? is that something that the student is ethically responsible for or will they lose a grade oh. for? Oh, yes, for sure. So... Any so the way I didn't write that ChatGPT well, did. Why? No, you, why am I getting the C? We're, you know? we're, we're working on those kind of philosophy of authorship things around it, and it's clear that at least so far, no one considers it an author. Right? It is a tool that you use to create stuff, so that you're responsible for anything that you put forward that you got from that tool. It's not like you consulted an expert who put his name on the line. It was you you know, bouncing it off this, this very bizarre thing. And, uh, and yeah, part of the process is going to have to be for writing any kind of research paper going forward is an aggressive protocol to double check, yeah, to check sources, to bring it back to the kind of reliable sources that really fit your audience and not just the kind of spitballing that it can do. Yeah. So, and, 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 go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and so what we're talking about here is then not evaluating that final product alone and the error that's in there. What we're really going to be evaluating, and we, we should, mm-hmm. should have been and should be all along, um, the process right. that, that led up to that. You know, So am I evaluating that the student did or did not what I want, the, so, so, so again, you're talking about learning outcomes. The learning outcome might be for that class, uh, you know, ethical use of sources. Right. You know, and so clearly if a student's got, you know, how would we measure that? One way of measuring it is in that final product, but that may not be the way that we are mm-hmm. going to be uh, measuring it next semester. So it may be next semester we're going to have a, some kind of portfolio reflection letter that goes with it or some other thing where the students are demonstrating that they went through uh, something that ChatGPT generated and vetted it for incorrect information. That's what I need to see that that student you know is able to do in this class. And, and this is one of the reasons that I'm choosing for my first application of this is an in-depth poetry reading thing because it gets meter wrong sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, there's a few like weak spots. And again, those weak spots will change as the model develops. That's iambic, not dactyl. Right. It's that kind of stuff. So it knows the definition of that. But sometimes if you just like give it a line and tell it to figure it out, it should be something that it does really well. Sometimes it stumbles. And sometimes that's because of the way that you've asked or the context in which you've asked. So you really learn like the consequences of language because it reacts in a fairly predictable way. Mm. Um, and so you can, you can try out very small shades of difference in language and see whether that solves the problem. So, so you can kind of delve into why it made a mistake at the same time you're correcting the mistake. And, Mm -hmm. and, and that gets, that gets students like right into what, like the the heart of what AI is mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. and if your if your assessment is something is something more holistic than maybe something traditionally product oriented, mm-hmm. the student then you know through a sort of like a the 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 the, the self assessment prompts that you you talked about having them do, the student can go in and say you know so by the end of the class they have to demonstrate that they understand the difference between whatever these you know these, right. and then they're able to to show uh, where they were they spotted it getting it wrong mm-hmm. as being you know this is you know, I, I, I knew that this was wrong, right. you know, and so I, I will probably, um, institute a bounty 
(laughs) system. And then I will Mm. probably have like a committee to judge the bounties. So that if someone says, I've found it in an error, then they'll have to give enough of the context for somebody else to go in and poke at it. Right now you can share those conversations and somebody could like kind of ask it forensic questions about why it made the mistake. But if you found it, then yeah, that's going to be extra credit for sure. And and how much, uh, what, you know, they're creating there, you know, Mm -hmm. they're not just uh, defining something. Right. Well, you know, if a student is writing a, uh, you know, a paper about the Lincoln Lincoln assassination, they say Lee Harvey Oswald was behind it or something. Right. That's a howlingly, obviously wrong mistake. Right. But maybe something else where it's, it's a very obscure piece of something that, that even the professor wasn't aware of was wrong, you know. Right. And, and so that's what it, there's so many different areas of, of error that can happen right. with this. And, so and, and, and this is something that in a research and bib course like the grad one that I teach, one of the things we look at is the sources of error and how different technologies have introduced different kinds of error. So like if you've got, for instance, a, a keyboard laid out in a certain way, certain kinds of typos become really probable. If you've got a spell check that suggests things, suddenly the kinds of problems that you, they used to have are gone, but new ones are kind of are kind of figured out, right? So I think the kinds of mistakes that ChatGPT would be responsible for at this point in its development, um, because one of the issues is that it has its data that it's trained on, then it's got other stuff that if you're using the beta tools, it can reach out and like grab other information and bring it in. But the way that it does that right now is subtly broken and limited in some ways. So that like, I don't know, you have to work around the current problems with the, with the system and, and sort of being aware of those is the first step. If a student uh, cut and pasted a bunch of uh, source material into ChatGPT and said, please reformat this and it, it an MLA, can it do it? Um, a few months. And if they did, could you tell? The last time I tried it, right, um, was a few months ago to do that. So it may very well be better. There are this. MLA generators online right. that you can they, use right. anyway. And they know, were but. about that good. Um, one of the problems it had at the time is that it was not producing italics. It mm-hmm. thought it was, and it would say that it had formatted things in italics. But the actual output. Well, of the this, MLA changes anyway. For right. It's italicized and it has to be underlined. But, I, but I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. But I mean, the computer was, the AI was trying to format it right and was getting things wrong because of output filters that it didn't understand, mm-hmm. right? So, so it was about as good as an AI, as any of those generators would be in the sense that it had some mistakes that, again, you kind of have to know enough to do one fairly, to be able to be certain about the generated ones. It's interesting. I was on the MLA website yesterday, um, and I don't remember where they had this. It was in, it was in one of their blogs, or if it was, it, it was how to cite chat GPT. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did have a, a statement on it. It was really interesting um, how, you know, here's a professional organization that is, you know, a, a, a standardized style guide that many of us use, and they're struggling to keep up and understand what's happening here. Because in, in their their format for um, for interactions with ChatGPT, you're supposed to put in the prompt that you gave it. Right. And, of course, their example prompts are very simple questions. Are very yeah. simple. And here, you know, what, what we're talking about are, right. you know, First of all, paragraph long prompts right. to get it to, 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 to get it to do what you're and then series of, of prompting and reprompting right. and so so one of the things that might help people who are actually trying this out um, is to remember that it's got approximately a twenty page functional memory, um, or did the last time I checked on it. So that means that within the last twenty pages it remembers and has full access to that text and can do practically anything with it. Um, past that, as things move into its memory, out of its memory, further entries in that conversation, if you haven't reiterated all the important points, it's forgotten those things. Wow. Right? So that one of the things that I'm doing right now is I've got some ideas about how to manage, like to keep the interactions the same. So it's, it's very much like a character Bible 
or a series Bible okay. in writing where you've got like the character, what you want them to be. And then you can go, sort of go ahead and like put anything you want them to remember permanently and make a part of their personality. You, you tuck that in as you're, as you're interacting with it so that you can keep that consistency. Well, we just have a few minutes left here, so I just want to get both of your takes on where do you think is uh, uh, chat, GPT, and AI going in terms of its role in education? Um, will it uh, overall benefit it, or will it be kind of a hit, hit or miss kind of situation? Um, I think that where it's going depends on a number of things. It depends on where the... in where it's showing up in the communication technologies that are out there and new ones that will be created. So I'm thinking like, you know, Microsoft um, Office 365, it's something the university's bought into. All of our students use it. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us use it. Um, they'll be putting out their, I think they're calling it co-pilot um, anytime now. And so it's not a question of, you know, if it will be a part of the core tools that we use to communicate. Right. You know, and that's just one example. I think it also depends on like in how it ends up being used and remixed. And there's a lot of that we we're not going to know until you know people right accept, reject, remix, right or whatever. Uh, and that that includes our students. That includes uh, you know what kind of new platforms might emerge for like you're talking about Hollywood and you know um, we don't know. Right. And I think uh, things are going to change a lot and things are going to get very weird. Um, I think that there's an awful lot of chaos, but there's an awful lot of promise in this. Um, this feels to me like a, like a potentially, if it's rolled out right, and if the people are there to advocate for it accurately, because you'll notice that if you hear politicians or even the CEOs of these companies talking about it, they don't really seem to understand quite what they've got there. Mm. Um, I, and I mean, nobody will for a while. This is like a, like kind of a new branch of studies is kind of like figuring out what this thing really is and, and how it relate, relates to us and how it can relate to us in a way that brings about positive outcomes for everybody. Um, it definitely, in terms of like eliminating boundary or bounds to access, um, the ability to like write like somebody that someone will take seriously, I mean, that's going to have a, just a huge democratizing shift. Um, but it can be used for every other purpose, too. So, Well, we guess we'll just have to wait and see. As they mm-hmm. say, Jason and Steve, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.